You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Chris continues in our sermon series called Ben Says. In this series, we take a look at the role of money in our lives and how we can use money as a tool, or how we allow money to dictate our lives. Let's listen in. Well, like I mentioned, this is week two of our series, Ben Says, and what we're talking about today is something that I've shared for years and years and years here, some version of what we're talking about today. And here's the reality where we're headed. For most of us, this isn't about how. For most of us, this is just a matter of finally deciding to go for it, to do it. And I can't tell you how many countless stories I have from people in our church, from LifePoint, who over the years have responded to a version of this message and said, I finally did it. I finally went for it. I'm so glad that I did. It wasn't easy at first, but God used that to literally change my entire life. I've heard that story over and over and over and over again. So I'm hoping that today, for those of you who haven't yet gone down this path, I'm hoping and praying you finally make the move, that you finally go for it, that you take the step, that you flip the script and join others whose lives have been radically transformed. Now, if our money could actually talk, if the Benjamins, you know, would give us financial advice, most of us wouldn't be shocked by what Ben would tell us. The real shocker is the parallel between what our money would say if it could talk and what Jesus said when he did talk. And and as we said last week, Jesus actually says more about our money and our possessions than he does about heaven. And because Jesus knew, he just knew where our hearts really were, and so he leveraged really what's most important to us, our money, for a purpose, because he wanted to get our attention. Because ultimately, what Jesus is really after, what this message is really after, is Jesus getting our hearts. So if the Benjamins could talk, last week we said for sure, Ben would say this. He would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm definitely not the meaning to life. Therefore, Ben would say this, I'm most meaningful when you use me as a means to an end that's not about you. That was last week. And we left you with this question that I hope you took the time to think about. I hope that you took the time to pray about it and ponder on it. And we asked the question, to what ends, plural, because it doesn't have to be one thing, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? Because as you begin to answer that question, your money will follow in that direction. And the Benjamins will be what they were intended to be all along a means to an end that just goes beyond you. That was last week. What about this week? Well, the next thing that Ben would say to us, he he would say to us, your self-control, that my self-control determines who or what gets control of our life. Our money would say, Ben would say, it's not about how much you have, it's about what you do with what you have. You see, the financial pressure that you feel, because I feel, because most of us, if not all of us, there's some form of financial pressure we feel. It has a whole lot less to do with how much you make and more to do with what you did or are doing with what you make. 
And here's the reason I know this, and that you would even know this, is because the pressure we feel makes absolutely no sense to the majority of the world's population. Like if you could sit down, if I could sit down with the majority of the world's population and explain to them and say, hey, here's how much money I make, and let me tell you all these financial pressures that I have going on in my life, they would look at us like we're crazy and nuts. They'd be like, man, if I could make that kind of money, I would have no financial pressures. All my dreams would come true. So you and I say, if I only had more of this, if I only had more money, but Ben would say to you and I, oh, if you only had more self-control. If you only had more self-control, because your self-control, as we're going to see, determines who or what gets control of our life. If the ben- Benjamins could talk, they would tell us, I'm a far better servant than I am a master, because ultimately, ultimately, I will always go. I will always go where you send me. I'll always go where you send me. And that's where this whole conversation, this whole topic of faith and finances intersect. Because if you are a Christian here this morning, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul and what Jesus says to you. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, you can also put your hand in Matthew chapter 6. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you can kind of tune out, you know, and just kind of like, kind of just tune out. This is kind of an internal conversation. There's some great value you can gain from this, and you can listen and grab some principles. But for those of us who are, are Jesus followers, the Apostle Paul understood the tension we all feel when it comes to self-control and our stuff. And he says this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, so I say, walk by the what? Walk by the... By the Spirit, okay? In other words, I want you to be in sync with the Holy Spirit who's inside of you, who is going to nudge you in your conscience. So he goes on, look at the next verse, or jump ahead to verse 22. He says, so the fruit of the Spirit, that is the outcome of saying yes to that internal nudge, the internal Holy Spirit nudging you, is actually things you're going to want to have more of in your life. So he says, the fruit of the Spirit, you'll have more of this if you're in sync with the Spirit. You'll have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and finally what we're talking about today, self-control. And so you and I, we, we shouldn't be surprised when our Heavenly Father, who loves us so much, would nudge us in the direction of self-control. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Why? Because God knows what I think a lot of us have figured out through our life experiences. None of us want to be mastered by an appetite. Have you figured that out yet in your life? You don't want to be mastered by an appetite, especially any type of appetite has to do with more. In fact, I suspect there's quite a few of us here this morning who have tried to get free from an appetite. An appetite that somehow, someway baited us into something that we thought would just be a one-time thing or a small little pastime, but it turned out it ended up taking over and wreaking havoc in our lives. So of course, of course your heavenly Father doesn't want you to be mastered by an appetite. And so at the end of the parable that we looked at last week, and if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to go watch or or go listen, but at the end of this incredible story in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes a very familiar but brilliant statement. 
And Jesus says this, since we're talking about masters and we're talking about who's your master and and you don't want to be mastered by an appetite, Jesus says this. In Matthew 6, verse 24, he says, no one, here's just a factual statement, Jesus says, no one can serve how many masters? Two. Two masters. You can't serve two. Now, that word master is the Greek word kurios. In the New Testament, that word is also the word that is translated Lord. So Jesus is saying, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two lords. And Jesus says, so when it comes to masters, you have two options. Jesus says this, you cannot serve. No one can serve both God and what? God and? Money. Now, you've heard that before, many of you, maybe most of you, you've heard that, maybe you've said it yourself, you've heard messages on it, and and, and so you already get that. But I want to take you back when Jesus first said it. I want you to think about this for a moment, because for some of us, we just kind of hear it and we disregard it. But when Jesus first said this, it, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And so imagine Jesus saying, all right, everybody, I'm getting ready to make a statement, and I'm going to have you do a fill in the blank. Okay, so I'm going to make the statement. Everybody pull out your pen, pull out your paper. And when I, you know, you're a papyrus or whatever, and I I want you to jot this down. It's a little quiz. And then Jesus says, all right, here we go. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and blank. All right, everybody fill it in, fill it in. Everybody fills it in. And Jesus says, all right, what'd you come up with? One person shouts out, you cannot serve both God and the devil. Another person shouts out, you cannot serve both God and yourself. Another person shouts out, you cannot serve both God and Rome. Those are the type of answers people would give. Nobody would have thought, you cannot serve both God and money. You see, what Jesus said was brilliant because he knows us. Jesus says, let's be honest. Let's get real. Because what this comes down to, Jesus is saying, is in the real world. You can't serve God and stuff. You can't serve God in the pursuit of wealth. God and stuff. You cannot serve God and money or what it represents to us. Jesus says you can't do both. See, Jesus viewed our money along with the quest for more and what it represents. He viewed it as the chief competitor for our hearts and for our devotion. So his question to us would be something along the lines of this. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you have money or does money actually have you? To which we would say, well, you know, money doesn't have me because I don't have enough of it for it to have me. Right? We might say something like, well, you know what? I'd like to have so much money that I want to have a chance to see if I would struggle with it having me right? I mean, if wealth is a significant, a difficult test to pass, I'd at least like the opportunity to sign up and take the challenge and see if I can pass it, right? Let's be real about that. We want the opportunity to prove it to ourselves. Now, the question is, is Jesus even talking to us? I mean, who's Jesus talking to here? I mean, is, is Jesus talking to the, you know, to the super elite, to the, to the 1%? Is he talking to the super rich people? I, I saw the stat this week uh, or last week, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, uh, how much money he has. Just to think about context here or, or like how much money it is. If you go out and spend a dollar, like you go to McDonald's and get their you know, $1 drink or whatever. If you spend a dollar, that's like him spending $1.3 million. 
So if you go to Chipotle or something, buy a $10 burrito, that's like him spending like $12 million. Okay, so that's the concept of how, so is this, is Jesus talking to Jeff and other people like that? Or is it possible that Jesus is talking to people who get home from work and see, you know, three Amazon Prime boxes on their front doorstep and they don't even remember what they ordered? Is it possible that Jesus is talking to people who go to Costco and they wander the aisles looking for something that they don't even yet know exists, but once they see it, they're like, I need that. And I need that now because this is Costco and it may not be there tomorrow. I got to tell you, I'm just as guilty as anyone with this. In fact, huge confession here, and this this is extremely embarrassing. I walk in one day at Costco, and I walk in, and there in the clothes department are my favorite pants. I'm like, oh my goodness, Costco has these pants. They're pants that I buy at, or I bought one pair at REI. It's these pants right here. They're nothing special, but to me, I really like them. They're comfortable. Uh, They they last a long time. I got them at Costco or at REI at a sale with a gift card, but I only had one because they're expensive, and Costco had them for like under 30 bucks. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to get these. They may not be here tomorrow. So I bought some. I now rotate four pairs of these pants that I got at Costco. My original, plus I'm wearing three others. Plus, Plus, all of these. And I didn't even want to use this illustration. Because it's humiliating. It's pathetic. That I would do something like that, that I would justify. I didn't even realize how many I had until this came to mind this week and I went back into the drawer and I was like, I bought that many. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. Maybe I should just do that, right? Is that the message for me? And I love all the people who came up to me at last service, and they they were like, hey, I do the same thing. It's all good. Keep doing it. I was like, you missed the point. (laughs) Oh, gosh. You see money, possessions, stuff. The quest for more, the quest for the good deal that'll make my life a little easier and save me money in the future, the quest for what money represents, all of that. It's a struggle we all have. We all have our own version, whatever it is. It might not even be buying anything. It might just be security with money and retire. We all have some version of the story. So Jesus was talking all of us. Because every one of us is at risk of making money or stuff or the, what it represents our ultimate pursuit or our ultimate concern. Everybody runs the risk of money or what it represents becoming our Lord or Master instead of Jesus. And so now it's something really odd. 
that I hope will bother you enough that you'll pay close attention to what I'm about to say. For those of us in here who are Christians, who are Jesus followers, you know this is true. It's crazy, but you know it's true. It's much easier for us to trust Jesus with our sin, our sorrow, our, our struggles, our prayers. It's much easier for us to trust Jesus with our eternity than it is for us to trust Jesus with our money and our future here on earth. If we're being real. Isn't that odd? Maybe you've seen this commercial that kind of depicts this, or this cartoon that depicts this and kind of shows this right here, and you see this picture, and here's the caption that you don't see. The caption that says this, the wallet is the last of us to enter into the waters of Christian baptism. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. But is it true? Now, to be clear, Jesus, this isn't about Jesus getting our money. Jesus could care less about your money. This is about Jesus getting you. He doesn't care about your money. He cares about you. So he was clear. If you haven't surrendered to me that which you have, because that's really where your heart is. If you haven't surrendered what you have, you haven't really surrendered. If you haven't got to the point where you've given him access to all that you have, you haven't really given him access to you. So Jesus goes on and he addresses this tension that, that, that we understand and he does it in terms that we can understand. So he says this basically, it's not about either or, it's about priorities. So let's look at how Jesus talks about priorities. It's a familiar verse, it's a verse that gets taken out of context all the time and people come up with a hundred different explanations of, of what they think it can mean. But don't miss this verse in the context of which Jesus is talking. We're still in Matthew 6. Jesus is still talking about money and possessions. That's where he's been talking about here. And he says to you and I, if you want to get this right, if you really want me to be the Lord of your life, if you don't, if I don't want to be driven by our appetites, here's the way out. Here's the priority in order. He says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says this, but seek what? Seek first. This is so important. The key to keeping the pursuit of more or the infatuation with better, the key to keeping that out of the driver's seat of our life is to prioritize something else. Rather than seek all of that, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He says, I want you to do something. I want you to operate with that kind of seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I want you to operate with that kind of priority system. Because the reality is something has to go first in your life. And something will go first in your life. And Jesus says, I'm inviting you into a world where you just don't go first. Where something other than you goes first. And in the kingdom of God, where we don't go first... That's when we begin to find more peace, more joy, more purpose, and more meaning in our life. Because Jesus says, in my kingdom, you become a means to an end that isn't about you. And I think Jesus illustrated this incredibly for us in, in one of the most powerful scenes in the New Testament. It's a story I think a lot of us are familiar with. And let me just kind of set it up. Jesus and his disciples, they enter into Jerusalem. They go and they're at this room and, and they're eating a meal together. It's a Passover meal. The disciples don't know, Jesus knows, but the disciples don't know this is going to be their last meal together. It's, even, it's going to be their last Passover meal, the last meal period together. 
And so they eat this meal, and, and then Jesus gets ready to do something that's going to make no sense to them, but it's in line with everything he had been communicating to them the last three years. So Jesus does something which was so wild to them. He grabs a towel, he grabs a basin of water, he gets down on his knees, and he begins to go through each of the disciples and wash their feet. They're freaking out. They're like, I don't, what are you doing? Don't do this. This isn't right. But when Jesus was done, he said something to them. He said, John chapter 13, verse 13, he said this after he had finished up. And they're just, you know, with rapt attention, like the room's silent. What's Jesus going to say now? And Jesus said this. He said, you guys call me teacher and what? And what? And Lord. Lord. There's our word again. That word Lord, master. You call me Lord. You call me master. And rightly so, for that is who I am. And now that I, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You are to wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. In other words, I have flipped the script on the kingdoms of this world. I flipped it upside down. And if you want to be a part of my kingdom, then that means you are joining an other's first kingdom. If you want to be part of me, Jesus says, you are joining an other's first kingdom. Now go do for others what I have done for you. And just like Jesus said to them, he's saying to us, flip the script, others first. Flip the script, others go first. Now, this others first isn't to the exclusion of us. I mean, you have college tuition you're trying to figure out or pay for. You have bills to pay, mouths to feed. Maybe you haven't had a job in months and you finally got a job and you're just trying to play catch up. I mean, Jesus understands all of that. So look what he says next. Pretty incredible. Matthew 6, verse 33, he says, seek first his kingdom. It's about priorities. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things that you worry about. All of these things that that have to get done. All of these things that have to be paid for. All of these things that are crucial for you to be able to survive in whatever century you find yourself in. All of these things will be given to you as well. I love how the New Living Translation says it. It says that he will give you everything you what? Everything you need. Don't you wish it said the other word? What's the other word? I know, that's what we wish. But he said, you seek me first, and here's my promise. I'm a promise keeper. I'm a way maker. I will give you everything you need. You see, this isn't an either or. This is a priority. This is just one and two. It's not either or. One and two. First and second. Because somebody's kingdom is going to come first in your life. That's just, that's just a fact. And Jesus says, your Father, Heavenly Father, is inviting you into the first is others, not ourselves. That we become a means to an end that goes beyond us. And here's the thing. Because Jesus knew what you and I eventually figure out. Jesus knew this. He he knew before we even knew it that when you put you first, you have a difficult time saying no to you. Have you figured that out yet? When you put you first, when it's all about you and your kingdom first, it's hard to say no to you. But the problem with that is if you are first, you will eventually get mastered by something or by an appetite 
or a bunch of appetites. And that's not good because you were created by God to seek first his kingdom. That's how he created you. You weren't created to seek something else first. So when you and I, when we seek anything first besides his kingdom and our creator, if we seek anything else first, when we get the order mixed up, that's when there's disorder in our life. And some of us this morning, I just ask you this question, is there disorder in your life? You got to ask the question, what am I seeking first? What am I seeking first? Because God will take care of me. He'll provide for me. He'll move in my life. He'll work in my life when I go after his kingdom first. So what do we do? We put others ahead of ourselves. First and second. In this case, what I was talking today, we flip the script. The script that all of us were born into is simply this. I'm going to live and spend whatever I want on me. That's what I'm going to do first. I might save a little second for me and my future. And then if there's anything left over, I'll, I'll give that away. That, that's kind of like normal for us. We're going to live for ourselves first. We're going to save a little and we're going to give some away. That's our order. And if that's all there is to this life, you might as well go ahead and do that and get as much as you can if that's all there is to this life because that wouldn't make sense. But if Jesus is who he claimed to be, and the reason you and I can have the confidence that he is who he claimed to be because he said, I will die, and three days later, I will rise from the dead. And Jesus rose from the dead three days later. So that gives you and I the confidence to know that everything he said is true and we can trust it because our hope isn't just in the words of somebody. It's in the fact that he rose from the dead. And that gives us confidence. Even in the area of our finances that we want to be first in. So, since he rose from the dead, we can look at what he said and we can know that the wisest, smartest thing we can do is to finally, finally, finally flip the script. Seek first his kingdom, which means we give first, not third. We give first. Save a little second for ourselves and then whatever's left, that's what we live on. That's our order that Jesus is calling us to. It's prioritizing something or someone over ourselves. And this is, catch this, this is the measurable, tangible evidence that Jesus is who we say he is, the Lord of our life and not ourselves. By giving first, it is prioritizing something or someone else that is not us, and it's the evidence of submission and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's awesome about this. This, if we start practicing this, if this can become a habit in our life, give first, save second, then live on the rest. If this can become a habit for our life, it's actually a keystone habit. It's a keystone habit. Some of you are, hopefully your brain's spinning right now going, I think I heard pastors say that term before. A few weeks back when we were in our series Habits, we talked about this keystone habit. What's a keystone habit? Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit, he says this. He, here's what a keystone habit is. He says it's a ha they're habits or changes that we make in our life that have a ripple effect into other parts of our life, creating positive change unexpectedly. In other words, a keystone habit is a habit that affects a whole lot of things that aren't even necessarily directly related. Listen, 
when you put God first in a way that's measurable, that's tangible, in a way that, that initially it, it feels like it really cost you something, when you take that step, everything in your life begins to change. And ultimately, that's what leads you into a richer, deeper, and stronger faith and confidence in your Heavenly Father. You see, flipping this script, it's the keystone habit that's going to change your life. And whatever you're going through, whatever your struggles are today, I always think in the back of my mind, I wonder if they have flipped the script yet. Because if they haven't, man, it's brutal doing those, those, whatever you're going through. It's brutal trying to do that on your own without Jesus really being truly the Lord of your life. So flip the script. It's a keystone habit that changes your life. And unexpected things, unconnected things start happening and your life becomes more what God wants it to be. So Jesus was clear. The litmus test of our devotion to God was our willingness to put him and others first above ourselves in the arena of our money and our finances. So here's the challenge. Here's the takeaway. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you for the next 60 days, for the next two months, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower, uh, you can just disregard this. But I would say even secular financial experts talk about the value of this. So there is value in this. But, but especially if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to take a 60-day challenge, two-month challenge. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like you to ask you to do two things. The first part is this, is that you would choose a percentage of your income and then give it away as soon as you're paid. Choose a percentage and give it away as soon as you get paid, whether it's, whether it's paychecks, commissions, bonuses, however it comes to you. I want you to pick a percentage and I want you to pick a percentage that you feel. It's not like saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll give a half a percent away. Listen, you're not going to feel that. You just won't. I want to encourage you, pick a percentage that, that makes you go, oh man, this is tough. Whatever that is, pick a percentage for you, and I want you to give it away first. Remember, what's the key to establishing a habit for those who are with us in that series? We said it's two things. If you want to establish a habit, you got to make it easy, make it obvious. Some of you remember that? Make it easy, make it obvious. So if I'm going to make it easy, make it obvious, what's the best thing I can do to make it obvious that when I get paid right away, I make sure the first part goes away? I would suggest you make it auto-debit. Make it auto-debit. That, that you set that up, then it's easy, and it's done, and it's obvious. As my, it, it, that's, just, that's, how, that's what makes it easy. As my son Cameron would say, that's pure easiness. Pure easiness. He just makes up words. But it's pure easiness. Set auto, up auto-debit. Now, where do you give? Well, I'd encourage you, pick an organization that you love. Pick it ahead of time. As soon as you get paid, as soon as money comes your way, you say, I'm going to give a percentage right off the top. Now, remember, this is something I say every time I do a message like this, and I say it again today because for some of you, it might be the first time you're hearing this. Some of you, you're here this morning, and unfortunately, me, the pastor, the church, that's a mental block for you because you're like, this is, this is, I'm tired of church talking about money, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a mental block for you. So here it's very simple. When you think about where to give it, if that gets in the way for you, Give it somewhere else. Give it somewhere else if that's you, because this is about Jesus getting your heart. 
and getting your heart. And he knows if I can get your heart, you're going to begin to experience faith on a new level. And that's what I want for you. It's not about life point getting your money. So if that's you, go that path. So pick a percentage off the top as soon as you get paid, auto debit, that it goes somewhere first. Second part, and in some ways this is more important. Second part is this, as you do that, as you say, I'm going to take the challenge, I'm going to take the discipline, I'm going to set this up, the second part is, I I want you, as this is happening, I want you to pay attention to the internal tension that begins to well up inside of you. Pay attention to the battles that are going on in your mind. Pay attention to the internal conversations, the justifications, the, the excuses Pay attention, because if you do that, then then you will begin to figure out, why the resistance? Why have I sat in church so many years, and I've been resistant? So I want you to pay attention to that, and try to figure that out. Because if you do that, if you will pay attention, you might discover it's not about money. It's never been about money. You might discover it's exactly what Jesus said it is. Who or what? is going to be the master or Lord of your life. And you might finally, for the first time, realize it has never been a money issue. It's been a surrender issue. It's been a lordship issue. So, are you willing? Like I said in the beginning, it's not about how. It's about if you're willing to take the step. For those who are Christians, please don't kid yourself. I know this is brutal to hear, but until Jesus is first in your finances, he's just not first. He's just not first. And the reality is if Jesus isn't first in our finances, I don't know that we're really a follower of Jesus as much as a user of Jesus. And that was Judas. So I'd encourage you, ask the question, the brutally honest question, are you a follower of Jesus or a user of Jesus? So once again, here's Jesus' words to us, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. He says you just can't. And your heavenly Father, my heavenly Father who loves us so much, wants what's best for us, and so he invites us, some for the first time, but most of us for the fifth or tenth or twentieth, or 30th time, God invites you to finally, finally flip the script. Give first. Pick a percentage. Give it first. Save for your future second. And then what's left, you live on that. Or as Ben would say, if he could stand up here and speak, I always go where you send me. So send me away first. I always go wherever you send me. How about you send me away first to something that's not about you? Let's go for it. Let's just show Jesus that he's Lord and master of our life, that we serve him, that we follow him, and so we're going to give it a try. Two months, 60 days, give first, save second, live on the rest, and then pay close attention to the struggles inside and what wells up during the journey. God wants your heart, so show him he has your heart by letting him know, Jesus, you're first in my life, which means you're first in my finances. Let's pray. God, I just come again 
asking that you do the miracles that you can do. That today was the day that a person, a group of people, a family, husband and wife, that today's the day, God, that, that your Holy Spirit broke through to some hearts that have been resistant to you. And they've had their reasons, they've had their justifications, whether it's debt, whether it's bad spending, whether it's going through challenges with business or whatever it is, whether we're getting close to retirement. God, whatever it is, we all have different excuses. But God, I pray that today you did the miracles here and that there's some people who are joining the rest of us who have figured this out and, and, and it's just an incredible way to live when you go first. And so God, I pray that today there's going to be more stories of some more people who said yes to you. So if you're here this morning and today's your day, or maybe for some of you it's the day to come back to doing what you've done in the past, but you've allowed yourself to justify why God's not first in your finances. If you're here today and you're ready to say, I'm going to take this step, I'm going to give a percentage first, If that's you, will you just tell Jesus that in your own words? Maybe pray something like this. Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And so I submit to you and I surrender to you. And I realize today that means I have to surrender even my finances. So Jesus, today I'm taking the challenge. I'm going to flip the script. For at least the next 60 days, Jesus, I'm going to give to you first. And then you work it out in my life. And Jesus, I pray you'd be true to your promises. You said if I seek first your kingdom, no matter how nervous I am, no matter how scary it is, no matter how much my faith wavers, Jesus, I'm going to take this step so I'm banking on you. You said if I seek you first, you'll take care of all these other things in my life. And I'm asking for that, begging for that. And so I trust you, Jesus. I take this step. In Jesus' name I pray. God, hear those prayers. Can't wait to hear the stories of those who've taken this step and seen what you do and how you transform lives. May you be glorified through this. We worship you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Chris. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and sermon times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.